Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 342, for December 8th, 2023. I am Merwat, that is hometown.com, the sentient AI is on break, and I am going to get right into today's articles. Today we're going to be talking about physicists that link molecules for quantum computing, uh, CRISPR, and I think I spelled it wrong in the title, so when you vote, talking about CRISPR, gene editing therapy approved, a scale Wolverine figure, nerds, cosmics, a flop, tyrannosaurs like drumsticks, Google shutting down podcasts, is Gemini really that great? Godzilla is huge right now, I think it's all the radiation. Backyards or biological zoos. And space cadets, space plane going into space. That and maybe some more. Next on Hometown Daily. Again, hello, hello. Hi, I'm Merwat, and that is hometown.com. If you're not familiar with Hometown, it's six main categories and then 50 sub channels within it. I aggregate headlines and a little snippet, and uh, that's it. Then I talk about 10 articles uh, every night, 8 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday and 6 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. I plan on the new year to expand it to a couple more shows and then hopefully stay into that groove and keep releasing them periodically throughout the year. But right away, two of them, uh, two new shows, and I'll announce when they are. Uh, once they're locked in. Uh, I've already selected 10 articles, so let's just get right into it. So the first one is called, uh, well, it's in the channel called Hometown Daily, which is this show. It's also a podcast. It's a YouTube channel. We've got a Discord. We've got a Patreon. Uh, there's a TikTok, but I don't do much on it. Um, what else? I don't know. Anyway, come and hang out and chat. We're here right now. Um, so physicists enter new frontier for quantum computing. The breakthrough may lead the way to more robust quantum computing and support research in fundamental physics. That's probably the big thing. Um, quantum computers, in the conventional sense of what a quantum computer is, is a ways out but let's talk about this the the article is over at newsweek.com and uh, they have <laughs> that's pretty funny um there's a video that's over here in newsweek but it it has something to do with the topic but not the article i don't get it i don't know why they do that anyway pandora dewan is the author over at newsweek.com that put the article together and essentially what's happened is physicists at princeton harvard and mit may have made a major breakthrough in the study of quantum computing by successfully linking together two molecules. And um, this quantum entanglement of a molecule uh, has the potential of allowing researchers to create a, a quantum computer that is functional in the <laughs> um, current, I guess, uh, definition of what a computer is basically like a desktop computer, but using molecules and quantum entanglement, 
um, this concept is uh, basically that a uh, quantum computer uses qubits um, and these are superposition entities. In this case, it would be molecules that have multiple qubits within them. And they call this uh, superposition spooky uh, action at a distance because when you have two uh, quantum entangled, uh, well, again, in this case, it's molecules. I'm trying not to confuse terminology um, and pull away from the, the article. But anyway, if you have these two molecules, it can be any distance. And when you examine one to take a measurement, it locks it in place and the other entangled quantum entangled molecule would actually result in the same thing. Um, that way you can actually read it. So it's instant data transfer. And the thing about superposition and quantum computers is you could essentially create a whole lot of them by stringing them together making up the ones and zeros that a computer usually uses. And since the superposition is all data all at once, the moment that you go to, uh, well, you give it a command and it, if it were a conventional computer, it would, you would issue a command and it would calculate every possibility and spit out the answer immediately. And I'm not talking about requiring computational cycles like a computer today would require. You basically say, I want to decrypt, you know, a 256 bit triple DES encrypted uh, piece of data and it would instantly crack it and give it back to you fully uh, readable. It's quite disconcerting. Um, so, but that's the idea behind these quantum computers, instantaneous communication, even at a distance and computational speed unheard of, uh, quantum computers are used today basically to do massive data analysis and, and pull out a particular bit of information, you know, like the highest level in a, of heat in a nuclear explosion or something like that and other fundamental research. It's kind of intriguing, but that's what this article is talking about when it's talking about uh, quantum computers, qubits, zeros and ones. You string them all together and you basically make a supercomputer. Right now, they're the size of the of uh, Marowatt's studio. Um, but in time, and that's without the cooling system, in time, they'll be much smaller. And who knows? Maybe John Teeter actually used uh, a uh, quantum singularity controlled by a quantum computer, and that's how he went back in time. Now, you'll have to look him up. It's a, it's a great conspiracy theory. But there you go. This is a fun article. Um, definitely go and read it. It's approachable, I would say. Let's give you the link into chat. There you go. Okay. Uh, the next article is over in the, oh wait, I didn't do my transition. Bad marijuana, bad. So the next article is over in technology today, CRISPR based gene editing therapy approved by the FDA for the first time. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting that CRISPR um, gene modification therapy hasn't been 
FDA approved, but people have been getting it. In a landmark decision, the FDA greenlit two new drugs for the treatment of sickle cell disease in patients 12 and older, one of which Vertex drug Casgevy is the first approved use of the genome editing uh, technology CRISPR in the U.S. Bluebird Bio's Livgenia, which <sighs> I don't know why <laughs> medications always sound like somebody just grabbed an entire box of like uh, six dozen alphabets, magnetic alphabets that you throw on a refrigerator and did just that. They just like flicked a bunch of uh, magnetic letters onto a refrigerator and then said, oh, you know what? Livgenia. That nails it. So the articles over at Engadget, Malik Saleh is the uh, author. And uh, it, they have a deck statement that says authorities have greenlit two new drugs to treat or that treat um, sickle cell disease, uh, which is a modification basically in red blood cells and that um, it, it creates kind of malformed um, cells. And then they actually get stuck inside blood vessels and, and cause problems. Um, and they don't carry, it says here, they don't carry um, oxygen properly. It's because it doesn't get trapped properly. Um, so the intent, I guess, is bone marrow transplants are currently the only cure for sickle cell disease, but they require well-matched donors and often involve complications. Uh, this approval will open the door for uh, treatment that doesn't involve that since it's very invasive and very painful and uh, it, rejection is always a, a, a possibility. Patients first have to draw uh, blood. To, oh, and this, it says, uh, while both drugs approvals use gene editing techniques, Cashtv's CRISPR-9, CRISPR-Cas9 genome editing works by cutting out or splicing in DNA in select areas. Patients first have blood drawn so that their own stem cells can be isolated and edited with CRISPR. Then they undergo a form of chemotherapy to remove some bone marrow cells. So the edited stem cells can be transplanted back in, um, in a single infusion. Both drug approvals are based on studies that evaluated the effectiveness. I believe we even spoke about this um, sickle cell um, treatment in the past, um, drawing attention to the fact that it hadn't been uh, approved yet, um, but now it is. So congratulations. And if you had invested in this company, if it was available for investment, double more congratulations. <laughs> And this is just the beginning. It's something that shows an obvious um, treatment path that is much more, uh, well, it's much safer and um, uh, cost effective in the grand scheme of things. Because this is pretty, uh, you know, uh, bone marrow treatments are pretty expensive and painful and dangerous to the health of the patient. So let's keep going though. I won't linger on any article too long today. The next article is uh, in the continuity report. Hot toys reveal new sixth scale Wolverine figure. Let's go over to the article itself because I want to see this. So 
I don't know if this is the actual picture. This is just a video, I think, of a, something having to do with um, Wolverine. Anyway, the article is over at comingsoon.net. Anthony Nash is the author of this. This week, um, both Hot Toys and Sideshow, which basically creates memorabilia, um, a new col uh, uh, collectible memorabilia at, at that, revealed Hono Studio, a new collective of artists from across the toy and entertainment industries. The aim of the studio is to innovate on some of the most popular pop culture characters via high quality, highly articulated figures. I always find that really interesting. The uh, level of design that I see in some of these collectibles. I've never bought a, a figure. Um, I've uh, only I've subscribed to like loot box or loot crate. Um, but I've never actually bought any of these. And <laughs> over the years, I've seen really detailed figurines being made pretty fascinating. The level of detail that's put into some of these and this is tame compared to the complexity of posing and stuff like that so uh, apparently they've created a one-sixth scale action figure it's not a doll mom it's not a doll um oh gosh there isn't much to this article um it's in chat though you can go and follow it over and take a look at some of the pictures, it, particularly if you're uh, getting this as a podcast. Um, you won't obviously be able to see any of the pictures, but I'll scroll through a couple of them. It's got that little stippling kind of a thing on the suit. It's pretty amazing. I don't know how they mass produce these with such detail. Uh, the complexity of the, the pose and, and undercuts and stuff like that just make it so difficult, at least to me. Looks like it's posable too. Huh. It might, like the whole thing might be um, like latex or something like that. I don't know. Silicone arms. There you go. That's <laughs> the very next slide said silicone arms. So it must have an armature inside it and then you can pose it however you want. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily cosmics backlash has already begun people are lashing out against cosmics is it going to be a cosmic flop i don't know it's over at um newsweek again and ryan smith is the author uh, we've talked about this a couple of times maybe in the last couple of weeks uh, when i first discovered cosmics being uh, created i thought it was kind of outlandish uh, this doesn't look like a um, a uh, Cosmics. This actually looks like a McDonald's. And uh, somewhere in here, they talk about how. Um, oh, yeah, we talked about it earlier this week uh, and that it was about to open. Well, it opened today. The first of the new chain stores called Cosmics opened its doors in Bolingbrook, Illinois on Friday. They want to spin up 10 of them by the end of next year. They talk about the churro frappe and boba drinks. That's what we talked about in the previous article. Um, but apparently it's been met, they say, with lackluster and at times critical reception on social media. And some detractors basically are drawing uh, attention to their political aspects uh, for not 
taking uh, a side and uh, I, I find it odd because if a company says anything other than it's a shame that any of this is happening, um, it, it, it doesn't do them a company any good. They're supposed to be amoral is what the business really wants to say. Um, but they say in this article, they quote what McDonald says, our hearts are with all of the communities and families impacted by this crisis. Um, and frankly, it's a shame that this is taking place at all. Uh, humans treat humans uh, so horribly. Um, it's just sad that this is taking place, that somebody out there finds the need either way. But it's not either way. You know, it's at all. That's what I'm saying. You know, I, it's a shame that anybody is hurting anybody. Um, so going to a business or not going to a business because they haven't picked a side just seems antithetical to a business. Um, they're not going to want to do that. Um, anyway, let's keep going. It's so weird that they tagged the two, <laughs> like the article talks about their political uh, alignment versus um, people uh, not going to the store and they conflate them both together about it being lackluster. Well, it's not lackluster because of the food and whatnot. That's what I ended up talking about the last time. Um, cause I had no idea about their political alignment, but, uh, to me, they're going to be cannibalizing their other business, the McDonald's business in an attempt to become Starbucks. So anyway, um, back to the new article it's over in the mobile channel appetite for drumsticks. According to this article, first prey found in a Tyrannosaurus stomach, um, Obviously it is a fossil, but they've apparently detected <laughs> drumsticks. So, uh, prey has been discovered inside the stomach of a Tyrannosaur skeleton for the first time. Scientists said Friday, uh, revealing that the mighty dinosaurs had an appetite for drumsticks when they were young. Uh, Daniel Lawler over at fizz.org put the article together. The skeleton of the Gorgosaurus, a member of the Tyrannosaurid uh, family that also includes the T-Rex, sheds light on how these dinosaurs grew from fairly slender juveniles into gigantic bone-crushing apex predator adults, they added. The Gorgosaurus, or Gorgosaurus it might be, um, which means dreadful lizard. Uh, was around six years old when it died more than 75 million years ago, according to a study in the Science Advances uh, Journal. The fossil was discovered in 2009 at the Dinosaur Provincial Park, Canadian city of Calgary. Um, and then they uh, apparently noticed something strange, but this is back in 2009. It was discovered in 2009. What has taken so long to find this? We have so much information that's just uh, unexamined. It's 
mind boggling. And if it takes, you know, <laughs> 14 years to get to it for crying out loud, if it was 14 years of research and this is what they've come to, we need more scientists. Not always an apex predator. According to the article, the discovery also offers a rare clue into how tyrannosaurs grew from one meter long at birth to some of the biggest predators to have ever walked the earth. Oh, it's probably called genetics and big creatures need big food or a lot of little food, but at Roughly 11 years old, as Tyrannosaurs hit their middle age, their bodies grew almost 10 times as big, ending up weighing more than 3,000 or 6,600 pounds. Somehow I just doubt this. You know, somewhere there's some missing data because they don't... Like, they'll start out small, yeah, sure, but it's not going to be like this clock ticks over and then suddenly they become massive. So weird. You know, we... Everybody... Science in particular, you know, they look at the data and they make these quantum leaps about what a purpose was. Oh, well, I love reading about this stuff, but I swear we're going to find out in five years, something a little bit in, you know, incremental. There's some intermediate step, just like humans, you know, there's always been multiple steps. We just didn't know it. And then, you know, oh, we only were around for 2000 years, 5,000 years. Oh, now we're, you know, 100,000 years ago or whatever it is. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Wanted channel. Google announces April 2024 shutdown date for Google Podcasts. They're shedding their properties, it seems, getting rid of things that aren't ap actively making money. <coughs> um, Google Podcasts has been sitting on Google's death row for a few months now since the September announcement. Now, a new support article details the plans to kill the product with a shutdown coming in April 2024. They did this with uh, their free services. Um, <laughs> free services for a domain. Uh, so if I want... I'll just use hometown. I want hometown.com um, to be my mail account. It's a vanity domain is what it's known as. And it's as simple as pointing DNS to Google services and then Google services allowing the domain name to be treated as Gmail, right? So you type in something, blah, 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 uh, hometown.com and you get the mail interface, which is Gmail. If I was an ISP, I could do that. Or if I was a web host, I could do this all day long for free because it's just a redirect to whatever infrastructure I already have. Well, Google now charges people for what is the equivalent of a vanity URL and an email account. Um, and, and pointing a DNS and it's $5 per month per user, right? Um, now they get rid of that and they charge. And then at another point they spin up domain names and then they get rid of that, right? Um, so if you switched over to Google domains, because 
you wanted a, a different service, they tested the waters and now it's going over to Squarespace. Squarespace is the new domain manager for everything that Google had uh, enabled monitoring of management of. Um, you just, <laughs> it's just uh, a big test and people expect the performance and then they just hamstring them. Now it was a long time for the free email that service went away, but to charge for what it essentially is DNS routing, which can be automated, you know, <laughs> it's just, to me, it's just greed. So whatever. Uh, now podcasts are going away because it's probably not making enough money. The article's over at uh, arstechnica.com. Ron Amadeo is the author. Google, po <laughs> Google Podcasts has been sitting on uh, Google's death row for months, 2016 to 24. So it only took eight years, right? Google's third attempt at podcasting app. After the Google Reader powered Google Listen, that imploded and Google play podcasts that imploded. Um, and, uh, the product is being shut down in favor of podcast app. Number four, YouTube podcasts, which launched in 2022. Um, hometown used to be hosted there, um, for a short stint, but because I use Apple podcasts and I host it elsewhere and it distributes to about 20 different places. I stopped it on podcast on YouTube podcasts because I'm already hosting the show there. So if you want to watch the video, you go there. If you want to uh, download the podcast, you basically use a podcatcher and point it nearly anywhere except now Google podcasts, because it's going to be YouTube podcasts. So with the shutdown of Google Podcasts coming, we might assume YouTube Podcasts is ready, but it's still pretty hard service to use. The author says, I think all the core podcast features exist somewhere, but they are buried in several menus. For instance, you can go to youtube.com slash podcast, where you'll see a landing page of podcast episodes, but there's no clear way to add podcasts to a podcast feed which is the core feature of a podcast app. Yes, that's one of the reasons why I stopped bothering. Um, because it's actually just a flag. The podcast is actually just a flag on the video that you upload to YouTube. So it plays just the audio component of it, I would assume. It would be brilliant if it was both. And you could choose flip back and forth if you want basically a YouTube video, except you don't have to sit on the page like Twitch. If I, if I want to just lurk, I actually have to leave my tablet open <laughs> so that the stream plays. Anyway, there's so much, uh, that I think every service can do a little bit better, but it's all about the cost that's associated with dedicating staff to do it and other things that they're doing. So YouTube still only prioritizes the regular YouTube subscription buttons, meaning that you'll be polluting your your video first YouTube subscription feed with an audio first podcast content 
again it's another reason why i stopped doing it because it was basically going to be cannibalizing uh the podcasts and other services like apple's okay so uh just be prepared folks if you've been using google podcasts for any amount of time i auto distribute to it but i don't think i get much activity from it um you will be losing this in april Ta-da. Uh, let me throw this link into the chat i did not do that okay let's go on to the next article this next article is over in the wanted channel round two we test the new gemini powered bard against chat gpt um now it's not me testing it. I'm going to go over to Ars Technica as well here. Um, and Kyle Orland uh, is the author of this. The deck statement is we run the models through seven categories to determine an updated champion. And so it says back in April, uh, Ars Technica uh, ran a series of useful and somewhat goofy prompts through Google's palm powered barred chatbot and open AI's slightly older chat GPT four to see which AI chatbot reigned supreme. At the time they gave the edge to chat GPT on five, five of seven trials while noting that it's uh, still early days in the generative AI business. So they ask uh, five dad jokes, I guess. Yeah, right, five dad jokes. What did the buffalo say when his son left for college? Bye, son. (laughs) All right. Mm, I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. Oh, boy. So they have this against the uh, chat gpt4 and uh, GT, gpt 3.5 palm powered google bard and gemini powered google bard gemini came up with um, that first joke hmm i used to be a banker but i lost interest says the palm powered google bard G- gpt4 turbo says why don't scientists trust atoms because they make up everything That's actually an old joke. I don't know about the others. And uh, GPT 3.5, why don't scientists trust atoms because they make up everything? Um, I repeated, I only know 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know why. Get out, you're fired. Anyway, um, after their review, they say uh, their winner is, we'll call this one a draw since the jokes are almost identically un- original and pun filled though props to gpt4 for unintentionally leading them to a pele happenstance all right i didn't read them all if you want to read them all follow the link (laughs) through hometown and you can see some more corny jokes if you want to call them jokes okay the next article is over in mobile Godzilla minus one is now the biggest live action Japanese film in U.S. box office history. Godzilla minus one's critical and public acclaim has skyrocketed it to the box office heights. Heights so worthy of such a titanic being that Toho has had to dash its plans to bring the film's theatrical run to an end and extend screenings 
but now the king of all monsters is now king of the live action Japanese cinema. So the king of all kaiju has not just the biggest foreign debut at the American box office, but is the star of the biggest live action Japanese film. James Whitbrook over at gizmodo.com movies put it together. Let's see here. Now having brought in 14.36 million at the box American box office, almost the entirety of the film's production budget and bringing it worldwide total to approximately 41 million, Toho has confirmed that Minus One is now the most successful live action Japanese film in US box office history. It had already broken records on its debut to take in the biggest opening weekend of a foreign film in the US, trumping Demon Slayer movie to the uh, Swordfish Village, which brought in 10.1 million. So I grew up with old school Godzilla movies. I haven't seen any of the modern stuff. Um, some people just don't really dig that modern uh, film take on um, Godzilla. Minus one that says we'll stick around for at least a second weekend in the US and actually expanding its availability from 2,308 screens to 2,540. Because you got to get that mortgage payment. That's how much it costs now to go to a movie. Maybe not. I don't know. I wait till they hit the small screen so that I can watch them right here or wherever my iPad is. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Um, I forgot to throw that last article into the chat. There you go. So the next article is over in hometown daily scientists find 1000 different species in their suburban home backyard. Researchers identified 436 moth and butterfly species, 56 different spiders, eight different types of reptile, 56 birds, as well as numerous plants and fungi. Putting the fung in fungi. A thousand different species in their suburban home and backyard. So the article is over at newsweek.com. I had um, already read something about this. Um, and so I thought it was interesting when I was surfing through the articles today over at hometown.com. Huh? A thousand species. Now, the way that I first interpreted this was that it was new, like new species, but <laughs> all they did was find old, well, not old, <laughs> already known species. Scientists find 1000 species. Um, but it's just because they went looking through their backyard. That's the diversity that's taking place in nature. Oh, I got nature all over me. Yeah, it's because I fell in the grass. Trio of scientists who live together have documented more than 1000 species found in their suburban home and its backyard. The findings published in the journal Ecology highlight the biodiversity present in many suburban landscapes, which can far surpass professionals expectations, according to the researchers. Well, it's probably because people are looking for something new as a challenge. The scientists tried to identify as many species as possible over a period of 12 months. So it wasn't like it was always present. It was present at one time. You know, it's like here in the States, you've been to Texas, but actually what you did was drive through it. 
just because you've been through it doesn't really mean that you've you know lived in texas in total they documented 1150 unique species of animals plants and fungi that probably traversed it most of it is the living animal you know live animals just kind of skimming through the yard after about 60 days of surveying they'd already discovered 777 species and uh, as they kept on rooting around they found all the rest the house was a complex ecosystem of species interacting we stumbled upon the moth Scatocresis inamira, which is a caterpillar, or as a caterpillar, spends its whole time feeding inside the dung of a brush tail possum before emerging as an adult. They found that in the house, maybe in the backyard. Uh, how about the uh, Paralyrgus concolor? Is another moth species whose caterpillar lives in spider webs and devours spider poop. To survive spiders poop what the heck i guess everything poops right every animal poops but it's an insect spiders poop i don't know if i can finish the show i only have one more article and i i <laughs> here i'll do it hold on Spiders poop. There's a book called Everybody Poops or something like that. Anyway, this is really freaking me out. Okay, now I'm going to end up reading about spider poop tonight. Yeah, it's early. Oh, well, yeah, it's a little bit early. Anyway, let's go on to the last article for today. This one's in the Mobile Channel. How to watch SpaceX launch Space Force's space plane for the first time into space. That's not actually in there. I just wanted to say space again. For the first time, SpaceX Falcon Heavy will attempt to deliver the Pentagon space plane to low orbit. The mission marks the seventh for the mysterious spacecraft uh, aiming to expend or expand, <laughs> expand, expand the Space Force's knowledge of the uh, space environment and test new technologies in space thus using spacex to launch it into uh, a space plane into low earth orbit in space i don't know the the space to desktop uh or web page density is pretty pretty damn high uh, the new the uh, article is over at gizmodo.com george Dvorsky is the author this is an, this is like the old school shuttle interesting i think this is the one where it just kind of glides back down um but they launch it in a different way it doesn't have its own rockets i don't think um Anyway, the Falcon Heavy is slated for a launch at 8.15 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. So if you download the podcast and uh, you're listening to this, then you should know that on Sunday, December 10th, from Launch Complex 39A at Kennedy Space Center in Florida, both side boosters will attempt to vertical uh, will attempt vertical landings shortly after launch. Falcon Heavy is essentially three Falcon 9 rockets 
strapped together. The last one, I think, kind of blew up or something like that. I don't know. The event will be live streamed on SpaceX account on X, which is formerly known as Twitter. And I cannot believe that I actually acknowledged X. This is a weird looking plane. The fairing holding the space plane that's going to be put up on the uh, rocket. And then this thing, all of this cowling is going to drop off the USSF. 52 mission will deliver the X-37B space plane, a project evolved from the earlier X-37A uh, developed by NASA in the late 1990s, operated by Air Force Rapid Capabilities Office and the U.S. Space Force. The uncrewed Boeing-built space plane is designed for reusability and is capable of atmospheric re-entry and landing on traditional runways. I think that it's just the predecessor to our alien orbital combat missions. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Well, like I said, I love a good conspiracy. This upcoming mission marks SpaceX's 92nd for the year 2023, inching closer to CEO Elon Musk's ambitious target of hundred launches within the year. With several weeks remaining, the company appears to be on track to potentially reach this significant milestone. Yeah, it's kind of surreal, you know, high tech, high science fiction kind of thing. Whenever I think about so many rockets going off into space and coming back, I think of Gattaca, uh, which is kind of a dystopian and future uh, movie. I can't remember if it's based on a book or if it became a book afterward. I don't know. Um, but Gattaca is a fun watch if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, it has legs. I mean, it it basically is highlighting what's going on nowadays. Except in this case, there is some semblance of um, protections on genetic information, except for 23andMe releasing nearly 7 million people. Well, they didn't intentionally they were breached 7 million uh, members DNA information genetic information was released leaked anyway has nothing to do with this article so I am gonna hop into the party bus drive back down Main Street and uh, these were all really interesting articles that I wanted to talk about but no standards requiring renewable clean energy to be truly clean will drive economic growth Smile Direct Club ends operations effective me immediately, but what about the customers? Uh, this was like a print-on-demand kind of, um, I think, alignment thing. Um, nearly half of men think that they can safely land a plane in an emergency, according to a survey. This is like the survey of hubris. Netflix co-CEOs Ted Sarandos and Craig Peters set to each receive a pay package worth $40 million. Hey folks, $40 million in 2024. And then apparently the statement, are you out of your mind? She's never been funny a day in her life was said in regards to Meryl Streep's devil wears Prada casting. Um, it says here got pushback because the producer was told, are you out of your mind? She's never been funny a day in her life. <laughs> wow. 
So there's what five more articles that you can go and check out. They're somewhere in Omtown. You'll have to search for them. But once you're in there, you can sign up and you'll be able to reply. Or if you're over here, you can swipe left or right these and they'll hide it. I don't know. I use it every day, pretty much all day, uh, checking in on the news and becoming more aware of what's going on. All news, no noise. Go check it out. And uh, that's it for tonight. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Be here and be a citizen of hometown. That'd be great. Thanks. Bye.